or students even have very close relationship to them and are very familiar and still in struggle with them. And since ages, yogis have spent a lot of time and effort to master these hindrances and to eliminate their power and to be more, therefore, to be more successful in the application of mindfulness, in developing mindfulness. And the first one is desire. It is a kind of an, um, a soft aspect of the, the of greed. When we talked, would talk about three roots of all, all unwholesomeness, we would find this mental factor, this as greed, stronger greed. The quality is wanting. You can also call the wanting mind. And it manifests itself with every experience through each of through each consciousness. I want to better um, hear something. I want to know where it comes from, and to want to hear better sounds, more delicious food, more uh, nice sights, and we are all better feelings, more um, pleasantness in our mental state. And so since we don't have them, and at the ones since we desert, we are always wanting them. So we find ourselves quite engaged in this um, act of wanting. And it is very <laughs> detrimental when we are practicing and applying mindfulness to breathing because that's an uninteresting thing in initially. Not very exciting to notice your fingertips and uh, your... <laughs> your upper arm, the sensation in the upper arm or in your lower, or your breath which is harsh and not flowing. It's very dull and uh, <clears throat> soon do we lose interest and then we have to make a really effort to bring, uh, to, to bring some interest into it for we wanted to do it. Then doubt comes, this is another of the hindrances when there is too strong desire and or too strong not desiring that, pushing that what I have away. I have sitting and I have everything I wanted. I have quiet and I have support of a wonderful Sangha and an acceptable teacher. And uh, I don't want anything, I want something else. You see? So, wanting and not wanting, being aversive and desiring is the same. Different movement, but the, the, the um, 
characteristic is the same, the energy is the same, one pushes away and one won. And when I sit now and uh, pay attention to breathing and the desire comes up uh, for something uh, which is more pleasant and uh, more light and more easy and uh, maybe more quiet and more concentrated, well, you know what kind of meditation that is. <coughs> or um, it comes up uh, something you don't want for some reason. So it is um, a tremendous hindrance for our practice and if we would kind of talk a little longer about it we would see that these hindrances not only hinder the progress of our practice but also are quite uh, detrimental in our day-to-day experience. So we do two good things when we now bring mindfulness to these hindrances and through um, quiet noticing and uh, um, allowing um, that space um, to be and not fighting it, just applying the right mindfulness to them, we master them really. Remember, I think I talked actually about uh, that uh, this morning when we talked about the third foundation of mindfulness and emotions and state of mind. Well, these hindrances are a state of mind. The desire is a desiring state of mind. The aversiveness is an aversive state of mind. That is first two. The next is laziness comes from complacency and um, from uh, lack of effort, laziness or sloth and torpor. You find it not only in the body but also in the mind also very detrimental for, for, for our practice, for there is no effort and nothing good happens or can be accomplished without effort. So it's uh, good to, to understand that, that aspect which holds us down, lets us slap around this being like a, there's a, a certain animal creeping on the floor, so, so gluey, so gluey, slush, huh? Wow. Slot? Aha, <laughs> uh-huh. slot. So I slot and topa. <laughs> yeah, that one reminds me on this attitude, not having energy, being slow, flapping the whole thing, having everything so in tow. And um, then the opposite is also there, restlessness is the other detrimental hindrance, interfering with our practice and inhibiting and any good progress. And we know these. We deal with them throughout a day quite often. And then the last one is doubt. 
And that is a very detrimental one and a very powerful one for when you succumb to it, you you are uh, not doing anything anymore. You doubt, finished, not my dish of tea or my cup of tea. Hmm? So we can prematurely that way desert that marvelous thing what we call dharma and practice. And um, they can attack you, not just singly. When one is running us, desire, uh, doubt is right behind to support that. And um, anger also, because I don't get it. Hmm? So, we can experience sometimes multiple attacks of these hindrances. And it's quite uh, difficult sometimes to free oneself from it. But of course, this increased awareness, increased diligence, perseverance, we succeed to master them. Five hindrances are that difficult for human beings to, to master and to handle. We can build jets and highways and fabulous structures and even transplant hearts and other organs. But we have advanced enormously. But we still are working since 2,500 years on five hindrances. If we were, uh, it would ha- have succeeded earlier. We would have a different world, because they are very detrimental also for our life. <clears throat> so that enough, maybe, for these hindrances. Short introduction. We have many. Who is there? An old student who has practiced. No one. You had all practices. These five hindrances, I think almost by every teacher, are talked about in every course. Do you remember it? Some are very elaborate on it, and uh, I do, do, do that too, and sometimes I'm shorter on it. Um, they are so vast in their expansiveness and in their expansion and in their effect upon uh, um, our actions and interactions and practice that we can talk about one each day quite more than one hour to exhaust it all. But um, we just um, now take Take it in our awareness now <clears throat> that they are existing and that our job now is to, to recognize them and to include it in that present awareness, which, is, uh, which you may notice as you are developing 
with breathing, conditions of breathing as it's been. So then we are right in a way prepared to notice it more and have probably more strength and openness and purity of mind to just acknowledge it, name it, face it, confront it and um, um, let it go, return to your practice to the level of sensations. I talked actually about that this morning in terms of there we just talked about mental states, but these are mental states. Just they have um, there are specific ones um, seen as very, very unwholesome for our practice. There are actually in the whole field of 52 mental factors which you, the Buddha enumerated and recognized in that mass called mind and consciousness. Uh, 52 and only 14 are unwholesome and 28 are wholesome or just functional they are not uh, uh, unwholesome and not uh, not um, uh, uh, wholesome they are just functional they are pure like mind mindfulness or attentiveness it's just um, a space which is uh, very non-active, but it functions, has a function. And if we wouldn't have that mental space, my um, attentiveness, we couldn't really undo our process and come to, to enlightenment and to in another stage of evolution because we wouldn't have any tool to look at it and to self-reflect. Animals don't have it. But they are so programmed that, that a horse just horses and doesn't do anything else. It eats grass and it pulls um, uh, carriages or plows, whatever, or carries riders. Um, and so they are programmed, but they cannot re- reflect, self-reflect, and have not the, uh, the possibility to awaken, to know what they are doing. But they do just that what is right for a horse then or the birds, they are are birding. They do what birds do, and within the bird species are different species, and everyone does a different thing. The wild geese do a different thing than the sparrows. And the sparrow, sparrows only, and the wild geese geese around widely. Beautiful birds, by the way. But human beings, they are somehow blessed with, with more than um, they can forget their humanness. 
and they don't just always human around. And they forget it and they behave in a way which is um, subhuman. When you see how, what a world we are creating, now we, we, we can safely say that. It's not really function, not the actions are not indicating that they come from the fullness of, of humanness. So they have this um, capacity to forget that and do other things. And that's why we have to practice. Either we can say to to evolve to our divinity or to mend our humanness. It doesn't matter what you put it, which way you put it. So, however, you either can allow yourself to congratulate yourself um, for being so fortunate to have come into the Dharma and a pay, uh, where you find a real wonderful method and guidelines to undo that unwholesomeness of this human behavior and leave the mass of suffering behind. That's why we do it. It's suffering and very harmful. So, my dear friends, that's enough about five hindrances. And allow yourself now to recognize them more accurately and to acknowledge them, to hold them in your attentiveness, to detect uh, their traces in your body, and go endeavor again and again to reduce their power over us. You see, that's the trouble. I say power. Why? Because we are often taking these state of minds as an authority and act upon it. Hmm? Yeah. So, now I think I found, as I looked through my archives, a wonderful bad night story for you, and uh, which perhaps fits into the context, what you want, context of uh, what I talked, hindrances. Um, it, it touches there the emotions, the emotion of anger to in a very light way in connection um, to something which you would not expect. It is a letter which never was sent, written by a young father to his baby son. So that letter could never be dispatched, be dispatched. 
and uh, that is my bed night story and after that we sit half an hour would you like to hear it? yeah dear Sadhana on the day you were born I called my father his pride my joy as your miraculous presence made a lineage of us. This is a contemplation, a Dharma contemplation. We are three men, grandfather, father, son and grandson. And in the filmy edges of awareness, I sense countless grandfathers and grandsons through time. Quite suddenly now I find myself father, daddy, bearer of tradition, vehicle of love, wisdom and compassion, as well as the darker side of hate, fear and jealousy. I am your primary model of manhood. What am I teaching you? What image and feeling for life are you absorbing? Do you feel my joy, my faith, my despair? I turned 35 the day after your birth, later than most men set off into fathering. For many years I feared even the idea of a pregnancy. Babies and children were invisible to me. My blinders are off now and the world is filled with tiny faces, curly heads and open looks from other baby wonders who gaze at me from shopping carts. I had much to do before I could be open to having a child. Therefore, there were dreams to chase, marriage and career to establish. Perhaps the deepest obstacle and hindrance of all was my wondering if it was fair or ethical to invite you into a world as tenuous as ours. I always presumed in some unconscious way that once I became a father I would feel grown up, have the right answers and know the way things should be. Do you, who is the father here? Do you relate? The other men are no father? No, you are. Mm -hmm. As it is, you will find me solid. Oh my God, I became a father, I would feel grown up, have the right answers and know the way things should be. As it is, 
you will find me solid in some ways, confused and struggling and doubting in other things. I'm clear about some things, yet I have more questions of life than ever before. Your very existence and the intensity of feelings you steer in my heart pose great questions. Can I be a good father to you? I'm doubting. Can I protect you? How should I nourish you? I follow you into the magical land of infancy. You love affair. Your love affair with life is contagious. We growl together, laugh, and explore the mysteries of bath bubbles and autumn leaves. It is as if everything were written in bold prints for you, tickling your keen awareness. You are utterly honest. The posings and preoccupations of my life become transparent as you insist that I live with you in this present moment. You simply refuse to accept the importance of my busyness and demand that I play with you, feed you, change you, cuddle you. You are firmly convinced that you are a baby and therefore the deserving center of all universes. You respect neither my need to sleep nor my desire to have a few unexhausted minutes with your mother. I have become your jungle gym and for the most part I love you for it. I mind you most bad. Your needs become mine and my self-preoccupation glares. You shatter my plans and expectations constantly, showing me how much bigger and more flexible I can be. You seem intent upon breaking every image I have of myself. Your jiggles and cuddling fall forth, uh, call forth such love that I can hardly contain it. At other times, your demands and needs are enough to summon the most irritable, hateful, and unpleasant of emotions. You break down my pride and so compassion as I can imagine how parents finally under unremitting pressure yield to abuse and then paint regret. 
It is odd for a man to be at home with his baby. This is not how it was for my father and me. Babies were women's work in that era, and my father's many gifts waited for later years. Besides, it was hard in those days for him to just pay the bills. You and I are trying something new. We share long hours in these early months of your life. For the most part, it feels very natural to me. Yet in the background, there are subtle voices that wonder if this is really manly. What is manly anyway? The old and secure ways of endless striving, stifling feelings, and primary emphasis. Upon career, no longer work for me. I sometimes feel cast adrift, not certain just what I should be doing. My roles are new to me, as my your roles are new to you. We are explorers together. Through you, I have a higher stake in the future. My ability to numb out the terror of nuclear war is broken, as I think of the bombs that are targeted on you. I listen in pained disbelief as our leaders fantasize of security through more weapons, limited nuclear wars, and evacuation planning. Before you were with us, I could only feel helpless in the face of this impersonal threat. Now, your tender vulnerability reminds me of all of Earth's children, and I am empowered. I feel such a need to protect you. M must do whatever I can. If you get the chance to grow up, I wonder if you will ask me how I stayed numb for so long. As I reread this letter, my thoughts seem random, not quite formed. This role is so new to me that in many ways I am as new and tender as you are, my son. My strength is not in my certainty, but in my willingness <clears throat> to be vulnerable with you and to learn from you, even though it may be scary. I'm deeply committed to being open and attentive and connected with you. Be behind it all, I love you. Dead. Nice backstory, bedtime story. What is most touching here, his compassion, which comes as he realizes, despite his love, he has anger and irritability and just could do something with that child. He saw that, and then he re 
collected mindfulness saw more that he saw all the domestic um, uh, violence or the abuse to babies and children which is quite frequent uh, quite an issue in our society and he had compassion for those who do it why he saw in himself how easily one could do it if there were not a stop by the power of awareness. That stopped him, nobody else. Quite impressive. Hmm? So let us stand up. Failed. And let it come to you as your attention meets it closer and closer. At the end is only feelings, sensations, living in sensations as, as sensations. And even when we have discovered the fact that we are breathing in experience, it is the same, perceiving, sensing and living as sensation. Let the focus to your breathing be the primary uh, object. Return to it when you feel it's necessary or when you want to. Or stay there where you most clearly receive and perceive the movement and the touch of breathing we named two places and from this place we can if we have fairly good concentration and focus power receive the entire body field of energy we are aware it's alive we notice the changing patterns in different places without needing to focus into from this vantage point 
where we where we have decided to notice and watch breathing
those transitions we are watching that particular field or domain of energy constantly changing the pattern it is in motion it is not static can we see that and feel it at the same time and realize that what observes is also the observed or that what I call me is both and sometimes if I recollect myself in this I can discern these two different aspects the one which observes and that what is observed and it is all right here And how clear do I perceive this field of energy, of body sensations? And do I really feel it? How clear? And how does it change, these energies? interacting with another forming all these new patterns and their motion lets us sense this aliveness this movement and then there is that large movement bigger one with <clears throat> that movement of the breath in your chest expanding your lungs exerting that expansion to the sh whole chest can reach as far as to the shoulders for some, this movement may be more clear in the belly, or diaphragm region. body as sensations wherever I direct my attention and there where I feel clearly body sensations there is my attention is it? nowhere else could we find it
Now for the last part of our morning sitting, can we unite our efforts, all be on the same place? Could we place our attention there where you feel the tip of your nose, or the base? Realize it is surrounded by air, we all share. And again, bring your attention to the tip of the nose. Realize it is in the center of your face. That is the background of the nose, the tip of the nose. Can we sense this place? Realize two walls. Two walls issue from here, become broader and tie into the cheeks, above the upper lip. Gently stretch that upper lip over the, in, over the edge of your te- upper teeth into the mouth. Just stretch and witness the release. Yeah. Gently. See whether it becomes clearer. The tip of the nose. And the whole base where we find two channels always ready to receive the breath. become later the uh, air pipe can you see that channeling itself through the center of the neck all the way down to the chest and back to the tip of the nose could you make a circle draw a circle with the tip of your nose about three inches diameter see whether you can realize the trace through the air with the tip of the nose it's also very easy to lose it really draw it, you have to move your head and as you draw it you see the trace or the circle you could give it a color if you like (coughs) and come back and now the opposite direction you draw the same circle not a second line, exactly as you did before ever aware the nose is moving through the air, drawing a line, leaving a trace. Is it really the tip which does it? Slowly, when you return, 
with the tip of your nose make a dot in the center of this drawn circle. And return. And now erase the lines with the tip of your nose. Systematically from the beginning. Very carefully erase that line. Notice also how often or how quick we forget that it is the nose tip which is drawing or which is erasing, making the erasing motion. Don't forget to erase the dot in the center. <laughs> and now see how it feels as you realize your tension is there where your base of the nose is. You understand it is protruding like a beam out of the wall. So the nose protrudes out of the face. Can you see or conjure the mental image of the tip of the nose and its triangular shape of the triangular shape of the base of the nose? where we find a partition between the two nostrils. Blow your two nostrils up or stretch them. Expand them. You will feel a certain tension through these tissues. From the tip of the nose, through the walls, down to where the tie into the cheeks and release that expansion, that tension. Mm -hmm. Now become aware of the background of the base of the nose, the whole face and realize different features here without losing the subtle focus to the base on tip of the nose. <clears throat> and again, get hold of the tip of the nose and write your name now with the tip of your nose. Not with your face. The face is moving. The head is moving. But in your awareness, do you hold the tip of the nose which writes your name? It's like a pen. See each 
letter which you are writing as a trace in the air. And then bring the head into the normal position again when you are through and now erase it, the whole name. Through each letter very carefully. And when you lose in your awareness the tip of your nose doing it, stop and renew that connectedness. Position the head again to the normal one, normal position. And see how it feels now at around the base of the nose as you acknowledge again the tip, realize it is surrounded by air, you may even feel the touch of the air and realize and as we realize the place be below the base of the nose that is the upper lip sense it there where it touches the lower lip what do we perceive here in that subtle encounter of the two lips isn't that funny what we are doing let it smile now through the lips and see your face smiling like you would see your mirror picture go carefully through with the um, recognize the nose in the center of all and as you see this image notice that you're experiencing it at the same time, you still are holding the smile. And notice how much of the face is involved, face muscles and tissues is involved in that smile. Does the tip of your nose also smile? Or the cheeks? about your eyes and chin and allow that smile slowly in the way in your awareness to return 
to dissolve. Where is it going? See how you how it feels now as you acknowledge and realize your attention is there where your face is and you are quite aware of this organism nose or lips There was no bell, was it? No, it's already later. So, I mentioned lips. This is, these are, these two lips are the doorway to your mouth, into which we will receive in a short while when we hear the bell, our first meal. It's also the place where we are creating our speech. Silently create the vowel of A. Concentrate now into this mental formation, the mental thing we are creating. All energy, very fine energy. You realize it? Can you feel this energy of this mental creation? E. Try not to breathe whilst you are creating it. So we get a sense for the urge of the breath at one point. And now the R. legs, into your shoulders more, and in your jaw, always being open for this whole posture. So, as a closing, we are bringing the sound into these vowels, starting with the lowest, if you remember. Each vowel has one breath. Are we ready? Oh.
there to include your nose. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.